Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne. We broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and we're coming to you on your local community radio. This week we go to Hayfield and Myrtleford in regional Victoria, both mill towns. Hayfield's mill threatened with closure while Myrtleford workers locked out for 10 weeks with the corporate employer refusing to negotiate. The final outcome's very different, but both sending shockwaves through the industrial landscape. We follow this with a word from Jed Carney, Australian Council of Trade Unions National President, as she closes the Next Gen 2017 ACTU conference. The Next Gen was all about the new campaign to change the rules, begun by the new ACTU Secretary, Sally McManus, when she famously said that unfair laws need to be broken. But first, some union news. July the 1st saw the beginning of the cuts to the Sunday penalty rates sanctioned by the Fair Work Commission earlier this year. The Labor leader, Bill Shorten, announced that his government, when and if Labor gets into power, will legislate against cuts to penalty rates. The SDA joined United Voice in a last-ditched legal challenge to the cuts, which fall squarely on the shoulders of the lowest-paid workers in the country, retail, hospitality and pharmacy workers. There is a little light in this dark day. Some employers have refused to carry out these cuts. An ACTU-led campaign to recruit employers to support their workers in this way can be found on businessesforpenaltyrates.com.au. The industrial landscape in Australia continues to be about big business removing the B out of the EBA process. No longer enterprise bargaining agreements, just enterprise agreements. NYSTAR Smelter in Tasmania is the next ship off the block. NYSTAR are taking steps that have been described by CFMEU officials as unprecedented action in moving to terminate the workplace agreement, an agreement that has been in existence at NYSTAR for about 20 years. The effect of the agreement being terminated means a huge reduction in the take-home pay for employees, said CFMEU official Richie Hassett. It will be a cut to wages, redundancy provisions and shift rates. Workers will be forced back onto the award. Now, Nystar has a common profile as other companies such as Carter, Holt, Harvey, mill owners in Myrtleford. The profits are good. State governments have subsidised their works to the tune of millions of dollars, but decisions about the future of the operations are made in the boardroom at the expense of the local workforce. Nystar, with a reported profit last financial year of around $80 million and a company forecast provided to shareholders tipping a 50% increase in price for product, Nystar enjoys a Tasmanian taxpayer-funded subsidy every year in the form of a massive electricity discount. 
To treat the Tasmanian community with such disrespect is just unacceptable, Mr Hassad said. Potentially more than 20 people who worked for nothing on the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne in March this year have won pay following intervention by the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. Following a Fair Work Ombudsman investigation, global labour hire giant Adetco has paid five workers $3,500 for their labour during the four-day event. Additionally, ADECO has undertaken not to repeat the practice of bringing in unpaid, in inverted commas, volunteers to work in customer service roles at the taxpayer-subsidised event. MEAA Victorian and Tasmanian Regional Director Adam Portali said while it was pleasing that the workers would now be paid, the union was concerned that the behaviour uncovered at the Grand Prix was part of a much more widespread and systemic issue of exploitation of unpaid workers at major events. This demonstrates some of the serious gaps in our existing laws around interns, volunteers and labour hire. Australia's workplace laws need to be changed to better protect workers from this type of exploitation, he said. You're on Stick Together, union news and social justice issues. The mill towns of Hayfield and Myrtleford both saw the end of uncertainty for local employment. Hayfield's outcome euphoric, while in Myrtleford there is an unsettled air of grievance unresolved. First to Hayfield. The Victorian Government bought a mill on Monday, July the 3rd. Agricultural Minister Jala Pulford said the Government had reached an in-principle agreement with Ash shareholders to buy the mill subject to due diligence checks. The Labor Government has reached agreement with the Ash shareholders to buy the Hayfield Timber Mill. The official statement read, saving 250 jobs and ending the uncertainty for the rural community. Stick Together spoke to Jane Calford, National President of the CFMEU, Forestry and Furniture Products Division, after the official announcement at Hayfield on Monday. Uh, so there's been a victory today for your workers at Hayfield. So Hayfield members are really relieved because as of today their mill won't shut and as and up until today they were since January, the end of January this year, hanging under the threat or working under the threat that the mill was going to close. So it's a great sense of relief for our members here. So what's happened is the government has bought the mill from the Hermel Group and they intend to um, hold on to the ownership of that mill until we sort out the long-term wood supply. Uh, so there will be no redundancies here, and then along with it, the government has attached an interim wood supply agreement. So um, uh, it's business; it's back into business here for this mill, as opposed to looking at uh, being shut. They've also they've also managed to secure um, an enhanced package of assistance for any worker who wants to take a voluntary redundancy. Uh, but there will be no forced redundancies here. The mill and uh, the community keeps the mill in their town. It's good news for us, but the fight's not over. We still have to secure a long-term wood supply agreement for the for this mill in particular, but across the industry. And so that's a discussion yet to be finalised with the government and uh, and other stakeholders. How does the government expect to be running the the uh, mill? 
Who's going to do the operations? Oh no, obviously oh, the workers. The current, the, yeah, the current management, the local management structure that have been running the mill for decades now will stay in place while while these talks are. Uh, resolve themselves about the long-term future. So it'll be business as usual on the site. The only thing that's changed is the is the uh, the actual owners, the shareholders, if you like, of the business. So it'll stay here. It'll be still ash. It'll still run. It's up and running, and people are you know happily going about their work now to the extent they ever are. So they, <laughs> um, so it's just the shareholdings really that has changed as of today or when the contract gets finalised. So it's owned by the state. It's owned by us. Uh, yes, it is. Majority owned by the government at the moment. So um, uh, it's a highly unexpected and unusual stance. So uh, everyone would agree with that. It's a bold. It's a bold thing for a state government to do. But in the circumstances, it's a good decision in our view. This is a mill that is. Uh, it's viable. It's, it wasn't that it wasn't profitable, but the previous owners didn't want to operate it at anything other than their full 155 cubic metre scale. And so for them, it wasn't didn't suit their investment profile or approach, their business model. So, you know, the government hasn't bought a puppy, they've bought a good mill, and uh, it, what it enables for workers is to give them the space to work through what the long-term uh, future looks like. And, and from the CFMU's point of view, given the job losses in the valley this year and previously, but recently, uh, it, I'm very comfortable uh, as a taxpayer having the government own this mill while we sort the long term out rather than having another uh, thousands of workers uh, put out of work here in, in the valley. That you know, Anyone who's been following what's happening down here would not want that to happen. So the government looked at it, said, is there anything we can do? Yes, there is. Uh, is it politically pal- palatable and economically viable? Yes, it is. And so... That's how we end up with this announcement. It's a bold move, but a good one in my view. It's interesting, isn't it? Because right across uh, regional Australia, there are effects going on, not just for your members, but for others as well, other union members, where the portfolio of the company no longer is interested in uh, supporting uh, regional employment. So uh, obviously something has to give, doesn't it? Yeah, great, great point. And it's really spot on. So... You know, especially here where we're a manufacturing industry and we, as you said, uh, we, we, our industry creates a huge amount of jobs in regional areas, but which also feed into metropolitan jobs in downstream manufacturing and construction. But you're right. If, uh, if there's no investment in regional jobs, you know, our economy and our society is in real trouble. And so I'm not one that says just let the market determine that. I think there's a really good political reason and a social reason why we need to uh, look to, to see what we can do. And of course the other thing about our industry and this decision today is the state government owns uh, a whole bunch of, of uh, resource, hardwood resource. Uh, they've announced down here in Victoria a big investment in plantation timbers into the future. So we currently have a state government that's actively looking to try and maintain and create and grow those regional jobs from our industry and that's that's a good thing and you know uh, and it would be a good model for other governments to follow around Australia as you point out. A much less joyous occasion occurred in Myrtleford on Saturday July the 1st after a 10-week lockout by Carter Holt Harvey mill owners 
finished after a vote of 77 versus 111 to go back to work, accepting the company's offer. Adding salt into the wounds, the local paper, the Border Mail, reported the event from the point of view of what they characterised as the non-union group leader Enzo Andrea, who praised the community's resilience, representing him as a hero of the community, failing to note that during the dispute, union workers were threatened with disciplinary action, including the sack, if they spoke to the media. So what's the truth? What were the workers asking for? A one-week Christmas break? Wages increased to keep abreast with inflation at 3% annually? This is a company that pays a Level 3 machine operator a base rate of $24.64 per hour. The workers wanted a say in shift changes and finally they wanted a quicker access to income protection. Years ago, they gave up part of a pay rise to pay for the scheme, which provides a basic income if a worker has an accident off the job. They want this assistance to kick in after two weeks, not three months, so injured workers don't have to choose between paying bills or keeping food on the table. The company Carter Holt Harvey refused to negotiate it, refused to use the Fair Work Commission structures, just refused like a fat baby to do anything but get its own way, squeezing a rural community dependent on the local mill for employment. Just to add further salt into these wounds, this same company benefited from taxpayer-funded assistance to install a 50 million dollar upgrade including a new lathe that can peel a log into ply strips in nine seconds flat. The ply mill is booming. Jane Culvert. Yeah so Murderford the vote got up and so the company's agreement has been voted up and workers are now in the process of the lockout got lifted and the workers are now in the process of recommencing work. That takes some time. The first the first thing you've got to be worried about is safety. So people have been away from their stations for 10 weeks now. So you've got to uh, start up slowly. You don't just walk in and switch the machinery on. Um, but it also that that dispute up there has revealed a couple of very deep and worrying flaws in our current industrial rules and regulations, and they're this. For a start, a lot of people on the books up in Myrtleford who are casuals who may work only intermittently um, in a holiday period or a day or two once a year, they've been enabled to they've been able to vote for this agreement, which affects the permanent full-time workers day in day out every day of the year. And it's a it's a um, shift operation up there. So the the permanent workers are now uh, having to accept an agreement, which a large part of the votes came from casuals who are not ongoing and full-time workers. Now, I've got no argument about casuals uh, uh, having the right to good conditions, but it is, seems wrong to me that a, that a large bunch of people can who don't work regularly at the mill, who work intermittently and occasionally at the mill, get to determine the, the, the conditions under which uh, the full-time workers, permanent workers work. And one of those is Christmas leave. So yeah, one, one week. Yeah, they were only after one week of Christmas leave yeah. and 3% increase. It's not like they yeah, were... It wasn't a big 
claim. No. So that's the first thing I think it reveals is there's a real problem with our rules when that's the case. And the second very worrying thing out of this dispute is that the current industrial rules allow a company to do what, what Carter Holt Harvey did, lock out the workers and keep them locked out indefinitely and in the meantime keep putting up an agreement that they weren't prepared to negotiate on. They went through the motions, but they weren't prepared to change. That agreement got put up for a vote three times, and it was only this last one that it got up on. And so they were allowed, they, the rules allow them to just put up that same agreement every week if they want, with their seven days' notice, and tell workers, and they were blatant about it, tell workers, unless you vote for this agreement, our agreement, the company agreement, you will remain locked out indefinitely. So... I really, that's a, I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong that a company gets to be able to do that uh, under 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 the current rules. I, I'm not one that says you can't put pressure on one way or the other. Unions do it all the time. But to be to have to be to have a system which enables a company to not negotiate, not the last agreement that or proposal that workers put back to the company only last week was a proposal which actually took away any of the extra costs and sought to to um, resolve the Christmas issue and the company rejected that proposal. Right. A totally minimalist position and they were allowed to just basically keep people locked out, knowing come that whole community was suffering, they're holding them to ransom and uh, and just keep putting it up for a vote. No change and no walk back in the gate till you vote for the agreement. It's it's, uh, it's an outrageous set of rules that allow that to happen, and that has to change. And it particularly affects people in regional areas. It does, and because of course it's a pretty immediate. You know, it's, it's hard on it's hard financially, of course, on everyone, workers, their families, and the community. But of course, it, it really became quite hostile up there and quite divided. And in the return to work, I mean, it's probably. It's probably a, a good thing that most of the people who voted, a lot of the people who voted for the casuals who voted for the agreement aren't actually back at work yet, but you know, our <laughs> union has yep. it in front of mind the safety of all the workers who are back on yep. that site now, no matter who they, if they are or aren't in the union. Because even in that situation... The uh, vote was actually sorry about that. Uh, actually, the vote that actually came out was only seven. It was seventy-seven to stay out and one hundred and eleven to go back. Right, Correct. so it was pretty yeah, close, yeah. even under yeah, those circumstances. Right. So yeah, they really meant right. it. One, yeah, yeah, correct. And, uh, yeah, that's right. And you know, I mean, partly it was because uh, a lot of the union members who are on the lockout line. Uh, you know, they, and I think this is a it would be a commonly held thing for most Australian people. You actually don't want to agree to something that you well, you've got a gun to your head. No matter how meritorious the, the proposal might be, it's just not a way we operate. You know, I suppose the voting for us in Australia, the culture of you get to vote on something, it's free and fair. Yeah. There's nothing fair about this vote. Let me tell you. And uh, it also puts more pressure, really, on that word fair work commission where's the fairness yeah that's a that's a misnomer isn't it yeah. i mean the reality is there was a time when uh, the commission could have intervened in a in a very intractable dispute such as this and uh, brought the parties in for arbitration now we would argue against that from time to time but at least in this situation it would have been a circuit breaker the rules now are that you can't arbitrate unless both parties agree. Well, you're hardly going to get agreement from a company that's saying we're locking you out 
said you agree with our proposal. Yeah, uh, having lived in a small community, uh, there's going to be some bad blood, I should imagine. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I come from up there, so I know the resilience of the community and their capacity to pull together. You know, the thing I think that the community should be asking is, in this whole time, in the whole period of stalemate negotiations, in the whole period of the 10-week lockout, that company has not been out to explain itself to people in the community or the workers. So the union went up there. We've taken responsibility for... Our actions up there, we say people were right to stand up for their entitlement, so we don't resile from that. We don't resile from from pushing for better wages because most of that money goes back into the community anyway. But we got up at hostile town hall meetings. We got up in the media. We explained what we were doing. We put the union's point of view and the union members' point of view. And that company has not once, not once, gone to workers, to their families, to the community or the media to explain their position, complete silence. And that's the other that's the other appalling piece of behaviour that's happened up there. Mm. Well, uh, it's unfinished business, isn't it, really? Yeah, they're back at work. The, the company agreement has been uh, voted up, but the dispute certainly hasn't been resolved. The Australian Council for Trade Unions, the ACTU, the peak body for trade unions in Australia, had its most recent conference in Sydney last week. It was called Next Gen, Same Fight, New Moves, with a sub-message, Change the Rules. The program events was called a campaign kit, arming the union delegates with the figures around key union and worker issues and how the first steps of a campaign that works to rebalance Australian working landscape can look like. We were lucky enough to get a hold of Jed Carney ACTU President's final words that closed the conference. And Sally McManus has stepped up as Secretary of the Trade Union Movement at a time when we need, well, when we need a Sally McManus. <laughs> and our union leadership is embracing the plans and the messages that they have crafted together in order to create a vision. And that vision has emerged and been clarified and has set itself, I feel, in stone over these last three days. Because this is a time when the world is turning on its axis. There's been a lot said about that. And I know that you know things are changing and I won't go over it again. But I do love it that those who wish to destroy us, they know the tide is turning as well. And in sheer desperation, They are either trying to look like they really care and they're crafting messages and quasi-policies styled somewhat on our own, using our frames, like they've always tried to do when things get a bit tough for them, or they are digging in deeper and deeper into their neoliberal vortexes. Well, I got news for them. It ain't going to work. Because people are wising up. And you know what? We don't need them to wise up. We need them to rise up. And we will help them rise up. Eight-hour day wasn't one in one march. It was a huge campaign. It was a long campaign. It was a global campaign. And we know that that march in itself took months of coordination, heaps of conversations and meetings and organising to culminate in that one big win. And we know how to do that stuff better than anyone. 
Since the 1850s, we have been doing that because we are union and we know how to win. And our opponents think they can organise. They copy us, as I said, but you know what? They are always one step behind us. So as Sally said, we, ha- we are the disruptors, but we are not only the disruptors, we are the innovators, my friends. We keep evolving with technology, with new strategies, new tactics that always keep us one step ahead. I know sometimes it feels like we're slipping backwards <coughs> or we're treading water. But then think about this. We have a waterside dispute or we have a Your Rights at Work campaign. Or we create a secret army to build a better future. And then we realise that we are amazing. We get up, we push back, we set new heights and new limits. That is why they hate us. That is why they dislike us so much. And what we've heard over these last three days and from Sally and from all the speakers and everybody, that it's time once again for another bounce. We need another offensive. We still have a mighty trade union movement in Australia. 60% of our workforce is covered by a union negotiated agreement, whether it's an EBA, an award, the minimum wage. You know, by world standards, that is staggering. Absolutely staggering. But we know our membership isn't keeping up with our impact. We have to remember that a large part of our workforce still goes to work at the same place every day. We know where they are. We have to renew our efforts there. We've heard today about organising people in hard-to-organise places. We can do it. And we're going to step up. And we're going to tell people to join a union. But today... And for the last few days, there's been a very clear message. Apart from rejuvenating your organising efforts based on what we've learned and giving your delegates a boost, I'm going to ask you that regardless of how you organise, how you ask someone to join a union, to think of those great moments in ACT or history where we had messages like the MUA, here to stay, or think of your rights at work that won us an election, Or think of Build a Better Future that saved Medicare and cut the government's majority to a painful one. And let's get our message out there together. A joint message. And it is a simple message. The rules are broken. We need to change the rules. Whatever your local organising issue is, you can frame it in that. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Jane Colvert and Jed Carney for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you on your own local community radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 94198377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.